You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards from Denver, Colorado. And I'm Matt Duncan, now out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany again. Uh, and we thrive on the support of our listeners, so find out how you can support us by heading to sunriserobot.net slash support. And uh, here we are with episode 52, which if we had stayed weekly would be our one year mark, but it's still a nice little finish line to cross. Uh, True, yeah. And uh, you got some follow-up for us. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, a few episodes back, we talked about um, that sometimes buying cheap gear is perfectly fine and the cheap gear doesn't necessarily have to be bad. And I still believe that. At the same time, I just broke my mic stand. Um, so I broke a screw like at the top that's holding the, the spider mount of the actual microphone. And I've now tightened it with cable tightness. It's still functional, but technically broken. Um, <laughs> I've emailed the manufacturer on Amazon like, hey, guys, can you just send me some screws so we don't have to replace this whole thing? Because I could like until like the six months of owning it i don't have to prove jack shit so <laughs> i could just send it back and say nothing so i'm like hey guys just send me some screws this thing isn't completely broken um so i'm still sticking with it i'm i don't have that 100 uh, mic stand you have on my wish list yet yeah um man although I, i'm eyeing it right now and i'm thinking yeah it's probably very good <laughs> um in europe and like progressive consumer protection laws w- w- imagine that world um, yeah. <laughs> is there is there a story to breaking it or is it just mundane? <laughs> Actually, yes, it is. So I've noticed that I've recently, like, since I've been home again, I've kind of like gone back to my old habits of sitting all day long. And I, I want to stand more, like want to walk around more. And I, I got reminded of Lion's standing desk. And so I was like, hey, let's just try getting this thing up as high as possible so I can do part of my job, which is teaching over the internet. So I can do that like standing. And while I was trying to like tighten that screw to get the microphone actually upright instead of just hanging downwards, it, uh, yeah, snapped. <laughs> so I was trying to get healthy and my mic stand said, no, you don't have none of that. Learned shit. your lesson. Don't try to get healthy. Nope. <laughs> that was a good onion story recently. It was like, uh, losing weight impossible and anyone that is trying should just stop. <laughs> um, all right. On with the show. We've got a lot of links to talk about, a lot of resources yes. this episode. Yes. So if you're in the mood for, uh, new ideas, new tools, um, this is going to be a good episode. And, uh, first off is just, uh, you know, you wait long enough, the internet will gather everything for you basically. And uh, so how did you discover this Google Doc uh, and what's in it? Well, you're trying to build up this amazing story of how I found it, but it just was story a regular time. Reddit post. No, it just was a regular Reddit post, but I still found it very interesting. So it's a compendium or a, a list of resources on sample libraries, digital audio workstations, notation software, orchestration, notation resources, everything you would need if you're working in the box, if you're trying to do things digitally by yourself and um it's always hard like you have an idea in mind and you search for like products of it of course you will find the three or four big ones but there there are a lot of gems buried in the buried in the internet like a lot of free synthesizers free sample libraries and 
this list is kind of trying to organize all of this and they have uh, columns for the price, the software that runs it or like the, the, um, the things you have to have to actually be able to use it. And, um, I think it's just a nice overview. So anybody who's interested in either getting into it or like broadening their, their horizon, like look into this thing. There's a lot of good information and maybe you'll find something that you will later on use or maybe even buy. Yeah. Definitely if I was starting out and I hadn't already sunk, you know, 10 years into the different pieces of software I now know really well, um, this yeah. would be a, a great list to reference. Like, um, you know, one that always stands out to me, like if I could have gone back and changed my life, uh, is maybe learning something like Reaper just because it's completely cross-platform, so cheap, even works on Linux. Like, um, I don't know in terms of the market how popular Reaper is. It doesn't seem like it's breaking into the top five, but... It's one of those, like, I'm glad you exist products. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, read, I read a lot about people using that. Like, it's either nowadays Reaper or FL Studio just to get into this whole thing because people are still saying that FL Studio would be easy to get into. I've never used it, so um, yeah. I know there are a lot of jokes. Like, FL Studio is the... Yeah, uh, Fruity Loop Studio. It's like the PHP of digital audio workstations. <laughs> I, no judgment on my part. I have actually really never used it. So, um, but yeah, apparently a lot of people still use that. Um, and yeah, Reapers, just because it's basically free or at least dirt cheap. They have like and a still really, has a lot of functionality. Really generous free trial that's unlimited, I think. So it's, it's, it's almost like a donation where even though it's yeah. technically not. <laughs> Like like WinRAW. Yeah. Um, we also have a topic here about uh, another thing you discovered on Reddit. So much Reddit. Um, yeah, so much knowledge. Dump. And that's, uh, you know, <laughs> how do bands get on TV shows? And not like super popular ones that have, you know, agents that are trying to get them placed. Yeah. But um, even smaller unknown indie bands that you just randomly, they just show up like, hey, we're on Veronica Mars now. And yeah. how did this happen? Yeah, so... So we're not talking about like late night show, like late night with Jimmy Kimmel or something. So actually like the soundtrack of a TV show. And I've always wondered that, like, how does it work? Um, when I was, when I knew very little about the music business, I was always wondering like, who is paying whom? Like, wouldn't it also work the other way around where the artist says, Hey, like exposure. So we're buying, uh, we're buying us into the show. But yeah. so apparently it's like a win-win deal. And this comment here, um, really describes the situation very well. I can't really sum it up all that well, like he does. And it's a very short post. So, yeah. um, definitely check that out. Um, in our show notes on sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 52. I guess a couple of points I remember from the comment were um, a lot of shows have a musical director whose job is to figure out what to put in the show that will fit the show. And so they, they kind of need to know the vibe of the show and then be able to discover bands that fit that vibe. Um, but then another part of the comment that I thought this was interesting was, uh, labels also do this where like if they have a really high profile song they want, like, oh, you want Radiohead? Okay. You can first off pay us $50,000 or something. And then you also have to find a way to use these tiny bands that need exposure. And so they kind of, it's kind of a negotiation of like, all right, here's the big profile one, but give these guys some limelight too. Yeah. So I really liked reading about that. It, um, like you would think when, when it has to do with big TV productions and big music productions, um, 
like they're all trying to scam each other. But this actually seems like a very fair deal to me. Well, and they also mentioned that the uh, famous uh, publicly run radio station KCRW is a very influential here. I mean, they're kind of known as being good tastemakers and always discovering, um, you know, they discovered Beck before anyone knew about him and mm -hmm. just kind of always at the forefront. And uh, the follow-up comment was interesting. They were like asking about why is KCRW so prominent? And it seems like they might be a good guy Greg story. Like they, they actually <laughs> um, do a good job of not just uh, pushing stuff that labels force them to push, but they actually try to discover stuff all the time. So that's so cool. I'm not, I'm not familiar with KCRW, but are they like comparable to KEXP or something? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're think, out of Santa Monica. Yeah. Ah, okay. So LA based instead of Seattle. Yeah, LA, the hot music comes from there. Or it's discovered <laughs> there, apparently. <laughs> LA is pretty huge. I mean, New York, LA, still pretty yeah. important. All right. And our last knowledge dump for today, also from Reddit. Um, so everything you'd ever need to know about reverb. Also tying into if you're doing music yourself, if you're dabbling in and recording your own stuff and producing your own music in the box, um, reverb is a part of almost every song, I would say. Like even if it's just artificial reverb, even if it's just a little bit of reverb. And this article is article like it's a very long post. I would call it an article. Um, really goes into depth about the types of reverbs there are, when to use it, which parameters to, to adjust for, yeah, what kind of ambience you want. And um, I haven't, I, I only skimmed it the first time because I really want to sit down and read all of it and understand it. Yeah. Um, because I always feel like I'm using reverb the wrong way in a sense. Like I use a lot of reverb and I love reverb, but since it's such a prominent feature in a lot of my songs, I should really get it down. So um, I'm going to use this and and read up on some things that I might have been doing wrong for 10 years or so. Yeah. Well, one of the things I noticed right off the bat that lines up with my experience is he talks about spring reverb kind of being terrible with transients. So maybe uh -huh. don't use a spring reverb on your snare or something like that. <laughs> um, and yeah, because the, the echo, the delay time that's good for reverb isn't necessarily good rhythmically as a delay. And so the, the way a spring reverb works, it just like, it's like a really terrible delay on your snare. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a, an entire book, even though one of the top comments <laughs> is, nah, I'm sure there's more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you didn't cover it all. But, um, reverb is, uh, you know, probably the most important effect after EQ compression and delay. Um, I don't know what I would place after that besides, you know, ignoring volume and pan. Of course, those are right yeah. up there. But um, pretty, pretty near the top of the list on things you're going to reach for to, you know, you get past the mechanics of your sound and you start thinking about the, the art of it and... Uh, Reverb is a powerful tool for sure. Yeah. So and then we got Sound Gym. Um, so this is a website I discovered that is trying to train you in using an equalizer, adjusting volume, adjusting panning and compression by having you kind of analyze audio samples that have been sent through those effects. And then you have to tell them, uh, like, click on an equalizer and say, so the signal was boosted here or the volume is about those many decibels higher on this track so it always gives you a choice so you don't have to blindly guess at least for the volume um on the panning on the eq you get like a spectrum you have to choose from 
Um, I gotta say that these things that I tried, these three, um, games, they're almost like games. Um, they were actually very good. Like the samples were high enough quality that it make, made sense to do that. Of course, they can stream flag through, through a website, <laughs> but, um, it didn't sound terrible. Like you could actually tell the effects and the adjustments they did. And, um, it didn't seem unfair. I felt like, oh yeah, I'm starting to learn because one of the things is when you're working with EQ and frequencies, um, it's, it's so easy to misjudge where a frequency actually is. Um, like I always guess a lot higher than when frequency actually is. And, um, the, the sad thing though is that, so it's just a trial and they kind of funnel you into that trial because they kind of hide how much the price actually is, what the conditions are. And so they only give you these three, uh, three games to play with and you can play them over and over again, but it's just those three. And, um, it's just like, oh, sticker shock. Okay. So you yeah. want me to pay this all month? Yeah. I wanted to um, say, uh, it's, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, it's just for me personally, that would have been too much because I can just open Ableton and play around with an actual compressor, have a little bit more freedom. It's not gamified, but I could still learn the same <laughs> thing. And I'm probably going to do because this got me onto this topic, like actually practicing a single effect or yeah. sing, a single audio processor. Um, just for that price or it's, it's more like, what is the I price? When, um, I never even let, saw let me, it. Let, let me, let me log in again. So it tells me when I log right. in. I do have a um, few things to say while you look yeah. that up. Um, I, I do like their approach. So they had this quote on their page, a sound is generally perceived in the right hemisphere of the brain and is not easily accessible to the, the analytical left brain. And we've heard this before, you know, right brain, artistic, creative, left brain, is a uh, analytical like uh, and you know this whole approach of like oh you're you're living in your right brain and you need to learn how to be analytical about how you do this and you'll get better results um that's exactly the way um visual artists talk about learning their craft of whether you're trying to accurately sketch something um paint more realistically um, the beginners sit down and they, they paint what they, you know, I've, I've read is called symbols. Like, even though you're looking at a real dog, you draw a cartoon dog from your head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you're not actually capturing what you're seeing because your brain's like, ah, that sounds really hard. I'm just going to do this thing I know in my head. There should be a tail here, even though it's not that dog's tail. And, uh, getting your brain to switch modes, um, through exercises is, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's credible. So I like that about this, um, that they'd be taking that approach because you do need to learn analytical approaches to mixing and not just gut feelings. But then they hide the price from you. Yeah. So monthly it's fourteen ninety five US dollars. Yearly it's nine ninety a month. So obviously they are doing like the monthly price is way higher. So go for the yearly so we can get one hundred nineteen from you in one sitting. Or lifetime three hundred and ninety five. You know what um, I, I the business model I prefer is what I I've, I've been doing a motion animation boot camp and it was eight hundred dollars for six weeks, but it's not like a subscription. It's a, like an intense like I'm going to be doing 15 different projects for them and I'm going to get mm -hmm. direct 
individual feedback from someone who actually is amazing at motion graphics. Yeah, and, you're paying for a teacher and not for a software. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I get that. They don't want to hire an army of teachers and have to deal with human resources and they want to build an automatic machine. But with things like this where it's a craft and it's something you you have to skill up on, um, it's, it's really hard to replace feedback from someone who knows what they're doing. Like, could you imagine going through these exercises, not just answering questions about minus four dBs, but like, hey, take this file of a voice and apply EQ to it and then send it back. And then getting comments from someone who knows their shit. Yes. Like, that would be amazing. <laughs> just like, hey, you boosted 1K way too much. You don't need to do that. Um, and I bet that service exists somewhere, and I it's probably even in that compendium we talked about earlier. I'm going to look it up. Yeah. But other than that, or if the listeners know anything uh, about such a cause, there has to be some. Yeah, but like to get that from, from, from an expert and not just uh, the rest of the internet going, well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm starting to really value that. Um but I would never go to school for this stuff because that's way too expensive. I don't want to spend four years on this. And so it's yeah. like that that sweet spot of like, here's like a couple months and let's do this. But that said, with for the right price, you know, maybe I would do something like Sound Gym as a, a nice entry level way to get into it. So um, just to sum it up, like I like the service. I tried it out. It's great. I'm just, yeah... I'm not uh, convinced for $15 a month. Um, that's more than I pay for my music streaming services in a month. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as I said, I think just the, the target audience for this already has the tools. They just have to use it in the way to practice. Um, so I'm not going to pay like $15 a month for something I can get at home that I already have and basically paid for because I paid for my doll. So all of that that's in there. That, that, that These are my tools now. Yeah. Um, a nice middle ground, which isn't part of our show, but that I would point people to is a uh, Skillshare, which isn't audio focused in particular, but they kind of strike an interesting middle ground. It's 10 bucks a month and uh, people post self-paced classes there. They're like hour long um, classes. These aren't like full giant educations, um, but they pair it with a community attached to each class where people post their projects and they comment on each other. And the person who created the class is very often very involved and will give you feedback. And so that's a nice middle ground of not as expensive as straight up teachers, but um, maybe if you're looking for a way and they do have some audio stuff, it's not as in depth probably, but that's something else to look for. Yes. I think they do a three-month trial for a dollar, too. So it's like low yeah, that's cost nothing. to try it out. They just want to have your credit card. Yep, to make it easy <laughs> to continue. Yeah. And then we have this interesting video here of somebody building his ultimate DIY field recorder microphone. Um, so he basically, I wouldn't say taped together, but he built together two Rode NT1As, the microphone that I'm using right now, which is famously known as the, the most silent microphone or quietest microphone that exists. So and it's really, really quiet. I don't know if it's still the <laughs> quietest microphone in the year 2016, but it's still a pretty good microphone for a pretty good price. So um, 
hey road please sponsor us um so and he he like put them in a cage he suspended them in a cage and put this um this fur coat over it like you would see when do people are doing like outdoor field recordings where it's really windy and hooked them up to a portable recorder and man those recordings sound amazing like he recorded a thunderstorm from his window and you actually really get a full stereo sound from this and it's really pristine so um really watch this video on on like some good pair of headphones um or at least some good speakers with a very very separated stereo field yeah um i was really amazed by how it sounds i thought it was really interesting that his uh the field recorder that the mics are hooked into is the handle of his his (laughs) setup so it's like straps up to uh um I forget which brand. It's the H4N company, isn't it? Um, Zoom. Yeah, it's a Zoom. Um, and that's the handle of his little stereo mic that he can carry around. And, you know, presumably you could easily attach that to a boom um, if you needed to. Um, field recording is very interesting because you, you get these insane, like, furry rabbit coverings for your mics because you don't want any wind on on the mic directly. Um and this really interesting approach here. I, I would would like to see a company maybe take his DIY design and maybe improve the the commercial. How about options. Rode themselves? They are already making the microphone. They yeah. could probably build like a special case that holds two of them. Because you wonder if 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 they knew there was demand for this and they were going to sell hundreds of thousands of them, or maybe that's a little generous. But you know, they're going to sell <laughs> a lot of them. That maybe they could get the price down due to volume. Yes. Um, yeah, I always love, um, when you get the sensation of how much microphone actually boosts audio, um, when you compare it to how you actually perceive audio in real life, like just if I now, I mean, I've shaved today, but if I started, or you, you got a beard, if you started like <laughs> scratching your beard, it would be really loud and it would never be that loud in, yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, it would never be that loud in real life. Like even if you get really close with your ear, which would at that point be really awkward, um, <laughs> And he, because he did another video where he built the most silent computer that he can, he could build like a computer case. He held this mic, as he, he put his microphone next to that, uh, did some workout in the other room, came back and you heard his heartbeat over the computer. Like the computer was even more silent than his heartbeat at the same distance. And <laughs> this is just, I love audio. This is just the moment where I actually say like, I really love handling audio playing around with audio because it's just like a, sometimes just a magical world of things you never heard you never hear that close it's like if you yeah. have got a macro shot of a, with a camera of some interesting object uh, it's just fascinating yeah one well, i've been doing this rack and tour live event stuff and even though uh it was kind of a, a mess uh trying to get the speakers working last time um once once we got it together um just listening to the storytellers it's like i almost cared more about like enjoying the sound of the room and the <laughs> mic on them than the actual stories yes. which isn't to insult the storytellers but it's like when you're responsible for that sound, you're like, oh yeah, I'm capturing great sound. <laughs> um, I mean, they they had they were in luck. They had basically three audio engineers on site that day. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'm just thinking there's a couple times I've gotten to help out with film sets. And even though that can obviously be a grind and, you know, if I was doing it for a living, I would have a day rate and I would get, you know, I'd get paid. It wouldn't be just generosity. But um, there is an amazing satisfaction, even if you're just the boom guy with the, you know, the shoulder strapped uh, field recorder and you're just standing there capturing voices. But Doing that well is so satisfying. And you're just like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to capture your voice. Here we go. <laughs> I'm going to stay out of the shot. <laughs> I'm going to capture your soul. <laughs> uh, so we have a, you know, we've had a lot of little one-off like products and interesting little tidbits, but we do have sort of at least one substantive discussion here. And that's this article I found on, uh, uh, the title is The Death of Mistakes Means the Death of Rock. And that's, you know, of course, a clickbaity title, um, an editorial. But the basic idea of this editorial is um, technology has made recordings easier to do perfectly. You can edit out mistakes. You can have perfect timing. Um, you don't have to have amazing, unbelievable guitar skills to record difficult parts. Um, obviously you need some skill, but you can tape it together now even more than ever. And so he's kind of saying not necessarily that that's evil, but that that's somehow counter to what he thinks of as rock, which is some kind of rowdy, rebellious, um, sloppy, uh, thrown together kids in a garage and a, a tape recorder. Um, there, there's some aesthetic argument he's making that we are basically destroying rock by perfecting the recording of it. And is there something here to talk about? That's not just our old topic of, Hey, you're not allowed to use auto tune. That doesn't count. <laughs> um, Cause that's close to what he's saying, but I feel like it's slightly different. He's saying rock and roll is something different. Not that all music has to be. Although he sloppy. like sometimes just, uh, still compares it to pop music or mentions pop music where i was thinking so now you're making a point about pop music again i thought we were talking about rock music yeah so yeah what did you take from this article do you agree with him uh i agree partly so um let's get one one thing out of the way he talks about loudness war i guess we can both completely agree with him on that that loudness war is not good yeah um as far as we know through all those streaming services, it's basically over because you don't want to crush your mix because Spotify is going to crush your mix for you. Um, or at least like subtly crush yeah. your mix. Um, normalize them, basically. It'll, as people in a playlist will have a leveled experience, so you don't True. have to compete usually. Yeah. But other than that, um, I think... I mean, it is an editorial. It is like, yeah, we want this article to be read. So um, I just think he's seeing it too black and white. There, He says somewhere, losing an error doesn't mean abandoning a group's entire performance. And I'm just thinking, yeah, fixing it doesn't make the music lifeless. Or when he compares it like, yeah, stripping everything to a grid, you don't actually even do that anymore. Actually, it's the other way around. As I described when uh, just before the release of my EP, I was artificially making the rhythm of my drums that were uh, that were done in the box. I was trying to make them more lively by just moving them around the other way around. And I did yeah. that digitally. Like the same techniques that he's complaining about can be used to make something the way he thinks it should be. Yeah. Um, so it's, are we like, um, uh, talking about the technology itself here? Or are we talking about the result? Because you can still achieve the same result with the techniques that you are 
blaming now and for maybe destroying more rock and roll. More effectively reach those results because you can. It's a more controlled chaos, and I yes. don't. There's always yes. this like, will you lose the spontaneity of that horrible mess in the live recording? And it's like can still record that way if you want to no one's stopping you yeah um and then use digital tools to clean up the mess you made on the floor but um yeah i mean there there is an aesthetic argument is there a way that technology will turn rock into something new well that's already happened countless times it's i don't know there's this weird like does he think there's like 20 years of rock being only one thing and then suddenly it started changing (laughs) because as far as i can tell there's no genre that isn't changing the day it exists because that the very second something comes out and seems to become a symbol for the, a genre, everyone is evolving from there immediately. Like there's, you can't stand still anywhere. Um, and so I think it's, it's weird to have this sort of broad brush to paint the past with when how many bands can you point to that are innovating on every level? Are you going to get mad at queen for pushing multi-tracking to new heights with their recording? Like, Oh, you can't, you can't have six of Freddie Mercury's voice. That's not fair. That's not as as spontaneous or real. Um, I don't know. It it always comes back to that. Where do you, I guess I did dive back into our, what counts as real (laughs) debate, but like, where do you draw the line on, (laughs) I think you got it. The only way we can really judge it is the result, not the not the method. Not the technique. Yes. Um I'm just wondering uh like what is the endpoint? Like where is the author more or less trying to argue towards um saying like okay, so I don't want to kill rock and roll, so how should I produce my album now? Should I if I make a mistake leave it always always leave it in there? Because I know I'm gonna get comments on that mistake. <laughs> um yeah, then you gotta practice more so you don't make the mistake in the first place. Yes, no question. I should practice more if I do mistakes while I'm recording my guitar. But I wanna record this song. I wanna have this song by the end of the week. I wanna have it done. I booked studio time. Let me just quickly re-record that one line and like the genre of rock doesn't lose anything from that. <laughs> yeah. Um it's about practicality sometimes. It's not about faking something that's not that's not possible or that's too um perfect. It's just like, yeah, there is a mistake. Let me just please fix that mistake. And everything that's about general sloppiness, as you said, it's way easier to control that. You don't have to make everything to a grid, but you can at least adjust the bass so it hits along with the kick drum. I think there is yeah. nothing bad about that. Well, and I wonder if some of this perception that like rock is dying or something is really just the fact that music is more diverse than ever and rock is fine. There's just more genres that are more prominently a part of mass culture. And so it it feels like rock has gone down, but really it's everything else has gone up and come to the surface. And, you know, there's still rowdy, sloppy rock out there. There's plenty of it. It's all over the place, especially go to a live show. Um, but you know, Dinosaur Jr. got back together and they're pretty rowdy, you know, kind of handmade artisanal indie yeah. rock. And uh, I would argue my pick of the week today is also kind of in that vein. Yeah. Kind of that alt garage kind of rock stuff. It's, it's around. I mean, uh, the Fresh and Only is one of my favorite bands and kind of the alt rock stuff. Um, super sloppy garage sounding. It's great. I love it. Not every music 
not every music, not all music has to be that way. But at the same time, so uh, I mentioned here the first album of Animal Collective when they were not technically Animal Collective, I believe. It's just AV10, Panda Bear. Um, Spirits Dug On, Spirits They Vanished. Like, that's a shitty recording. Uh, <laughs> that, that really sounds like tape record, recording. But the songs are amazing. Okay, so it's this whole atmosphere. It's the aesthetic. People really love that word nowadays on the internet. <laughs> this whole aesthetic and... Um, but still, if I get a great live recording, they, they've brought some of those songs back and there's a proper live recording of the song like rehauled. I also love that. I want both of those to exist. Yeah. So, uh, give me both. Well, um, a big example to me is, uh, Talking Heads. My, one of my favorite songs of all time is there. This must be the place. It's been covered terribly yeah. a bunch, but Kishibashi did a really nice one. Um, but, their live recording is a million times better than the album recording <laughs> because it was done, you know, like 10 years later and the, they had the money or the budget or the setup to really capture it. And the, I can't stand the album version. It's just so like tinny and tiny and it just has no impact. And, um, it's still a good song, but it's like hearing. I don't have a good analogy. It's but the thing is, now let's say Talking Heads get back together in the studio and re-record that song with today's technology. They don't really change a lot. Like they basically replay it. But um, yeah, with modern technology, modern mixing techniques or philosophies. Um, okay, now we're talking about a hypothetical recording now, but would you like it? Probably. Um, I mean, there's. I think there's a lot to be gained um, just from the technology advances that they would be able to do. Um, even if there'd always be the aesthetic argument, like you could, like I wouldn't begrudge someone saying they don't like it because of aesthetics, but um, just the fullness of the, even that, that live recording I mentioned, the, you just hear more of each instrument and that's just a good thing for the song. It's not taking yeah. anything away. So yeah, we done with this topic. We're done with this. <laughs> And we would be remiss if we didn't have at least a small title update uh, to close out uh, our news and, and discussion part of the show. And that's a uh, title was preparing a lawsuit against the the original owners that they uh, Jay-Z and crew bought title from um, claiming that they uh, misled them on the value of the existing subscriber base and the basically the overall value of title um, that they were tricked into how well it was doing or what the potential potential was and uh man this is the story just gets sadder and sadder um i i feel like this is almost like um people that make fun of a an ex and it's like but you were the person that dated them (laughs) and it's like (laughs) you know the more you decide that you're saying they're a terrible person the more you look dumb um it's it's not exactly like that but if if they successfully prove in court that Oh yeah, you uh completely tricked us. That just makes them look like terrible at business, right? It's like, hey, we just proved that we're idiots. <laughs> After what we've seen with Tidal, I wouldn't be surprised. This ship is sinking and now they're just going, okay, let's try to blame it on someone else so we can save face, at least in their mind, and maybe recoup some of the damages. 
that of course have a cured because they <laughs> bought something that was overvalued. Um, I, I couldn't really find a definite number here in this article. They're kind of talking around the point. So basically um, what I'm gathering from this article is they sold title or WIMP, which, which was it, uh, it was called before that, uh, WIMP subscription along with a cable or telecom provider. So you got the, uh, you got the service from this provider and you got a WIMP subscription like in the package and that amounted to 391,000 of the 503,000 subscribers, which basically leaves 212,000 people that actively subscribe to WIMP <laughs> on their own, not inside of a package. Uh, so we're talking about, about just a little bit more than a fifth here, which really isn't all that much. No. So. <laughs> Yeah. I can understand that afterwards they'd be like, hey, we only have a fifth of the customer base we were advertising. Uh, but as you said, um, do some research before you pour millions into something. Yeah, any purchase of that size, you're going to take the, the, the guy being bought. Um, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny. You, you want a, a yeah. whole bunch of lawyers and um, smart business people to go and scrutinize and be like, okay, is this really true? Like, you know, did people actually yeah. sign up? Um, yeah, all that stuff. It, it's almost like finding a wallet on the street that has like $10,000 in it. Um, I'm going to give it back. But when I meet that person, I'm going to say, hey, it's pretty stupid to lose $10,000 on the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's get to our picks of the week. And I think you should go first. All right. My pick of the week is the song Houdini Crush by uh, Buke and Gas, I'm going to say. And uh, let's just go straight into it and then I'll say what I think about the song. That's a nice little sample of when the song finally gets going in the first minute. Um, but I didn't steal away uh, all the nice developments that happen later. Um, this was a a song I kind of chewed on for a while. It was I, I have a little playlist going of songs that I that strike me that I don't know yet if it's going to be my pick. And uh, this sat in there for a couple weeks, and eventually I was just like, yeah, this is. I mean, I never didn't like the song, but it was just kind of a moment of. All right, I've I've let this kind of marinate long enough. I'm ready to to share this song, and uh, there's a couple things I like uh, a lot about this song. And the the first one that it really strikes, I think, anyone who listens to it is it feels so good every time the drums come in. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> it's just so, and they tease you constantly. It's never like fully in they don't you never get tired of it. it's always just a few seconds at a time and that 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 teasing you <laughs> basically um so that's amazing and that that culminates late in the song they they finally they they give you a triplet that just like completely sent chills down me just like yes um <laughs> alongside that they're also um developing each part with more harmonies and usually in the form of more guitars um harmonizing with the voice and that 
also stood out to me, especially the more I listened to the song, I started to notice more and more of those harmonic layers. And that's also very satisfying about this song. Other than that, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice progression. It's a nice melody. It's a, it's a solid piece of songwriting, but those little production tricks and, uh, you know, composition, uh, structure really takes it to another level for me. So you had heard these guys before, but had you heard this yes. song before? No, I haven't heard that song before. Um, I know them for their like quirk, kind of quirky layered songs, although they're just a duo right, with their self-made instruments. And I believe like they play the drums with their feet. So that's why you basically only have that tambourine, uh, almost like strike and this kick drum, but that's all they need and they get so much mileage out of that um like as you said every hit is satisfying every each and every one of their songs and they have this polyrhythm thing going on every time like you don't get just sometimes you get a four on the floor and then sometimes it's just syncopated to hell and back and i really love it about them um the the intro to that song is where it kind of builds this this texture up with the gaze and you get starting to get those harmonic frequencies on top where um in if you are doing like a full rock song with a very tight composition you don't have any free spaces you would key all of those frequencies out because you don't want them they're like shimmering up there and they're kind mm-hmm. of kind of nasty sometimes but man they they've got this open composition where this is just the right amount of to fill that space up well i think that's because the 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 mix is very simple and so like they like it's not a full five piece rock band with keyboards and something out like they have the frequency range available. So you're right. They, yes. they can push the, that sound to be as big as it wants to be since they aren't trying to fit so much. And since the drums aren't even there most of the time, you know, it just works. <laughs> so what was your pick of the week? My pick of the week is Red Vox with the song telephone. Um, I've, technically featured them before on episode 26 when they didn't have a proper name yet so yay hipster me i've known this band before they had a name um um, i just love that song it's really short song i think it's around two minutes and um i just love the chorus it has to me the perfect combination of melody and chord progression and lyrics and lyrics like just every part supports the other part um and let's just let's just have a little sample of the of the beginning of the song. Yeah, and just then when it faded out, like the bass was walking all over the place. And it's yeah. just very tight rhythm. And um, only just on the listen before the show, I noticed that there's a piano hidden on the right channel, right right behind the guitar track. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could hear more of that. But man, it's it's. I wouldn't want to change anything about like that a, mix. I just want to hear that piano on its own. Like the piano is like a baby animal hiding in the legs of its parent or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so what do you think? 
think of the song? I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I'm again, this isn't a dismissive comparison, but it reminded me of the Fresh and Only's just for that, like very guitar featuring kind of garage. There's, there's some delay, there's some reverb on it and, um, really satisfying stereo mix of guitars is the, the main draw for me is just, delicious guitars um but you're right the chords the melodies it, it all works together really well um and I, I checked out more of the album there's actually a lot of variety on this album it's not all two minute garage songs like this i don't know how for how long but i think it's four bucks right now and for maybe another week or so so if you enjoy what you just heard check them out on Bandcamp and you can get the so I linked the actual the, the the complete album on Bandcamp on our show notes. Uh, really check it out. It's four bucks for now, and I think it will be like eight in a week or so. Yeah, and I, I it's not a long song, but I got to the end, and since you had already pointed it out to me, I, I noticed <laughs> this reference. What is this reference at the end? <laughs> uh, so when it fades out, you hear like a very uh, echoey and reverbed hell reference to Carl Pilkington. Uh, saying, Carl, you fucking idiot. <laughs> and I just know that the guy, Vinny, the, the singer, he loves Carl Pilking yeah. and I love so Carl that's Pilking. Ricky Gervais's voice, <laughs> I think. Um, or was it? No, I think it's him. He just, he, he oh, he's just mimicking it. Okay. Yeah, he's just mimicking it. All right. <laughs> well, with that, we have episode 52 of Bits and Pieces. Thank you so much for listening. And here's our sort of wrap up list of goodies. Um, first off, all these articles, including links to these songs we just played samples from, um, you can find in our show notes, which is at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 52. So definitely head there and check out this stuff. Um, if you're into creating music, all those resources will go a long way. The stuff on reverb, the, the list of tools, go check it out and head to the sound gym and get, get swole on your audio skills. Um, while you're on our website, you can subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. So I use Overcast.fm on my iPhone to listen to all the podcasts I, I listen to. I'm subscribed to a bunch of tech podcasts and some comedy ones. Um, if you're on Android, you could use Podcast Addict or Pocket Casts. And uh, then you can use the RSS button on our website to subscribe to our show. And that way you get episodes automatically delivered to your phone. You don't even have to think about it. And we publish pretty much every Wednesday or every other Wednesday um, occasionally it might be earlier later in the day or maybe even a different day, but usually it's Wednesday. It's time zones. It's all uh, a problem with the time zones yeah. as always. Um, Blame it on that. Me and Matt both love feedback. If you have uh, topic ideas or uh, songs you want to share with us or you disagree vehemently with something we said about lossless audio and you want to be wrong about it, <laughs> talking to us. Even 50 episodes ago. <laughs> um Probably the best way is on Twitter. We're both on Twitter. Um, you can tweet me. I'm at pseudo Michael or S U D O Michael. And Matt, you are? I'm at Echolox, E C H O L O X. And you can also find me on Mitomo. Mitomo. Um, my voice is like a freakish banshee on, on Mitomo. Um, <laughs> If you'd like to support the show even more directly, uh, there's two things. You can go to sunriserobot.net slash support and use the iTunes links to leave us a rating or a review. And that just goes a long way to helping push us into the eyes of other people looking for podcasts uh, in that directory. And it turns out the iTunes directory is very important. Um, so anything you can do with a rating and a review goes a long way. And we love that feedback anyway, so we want to see that. 
Um, if you'd like to go above and beyond that, you can go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot and pledge dollars to our network. And that just helps us keep doing what we do, keep the lights on, keep the tape rolling. We don't record on tape, but we just have tape rolling in the background. Um, and that costs a lot. So we, we need your money to keep that going. We have going. to replace it every episode. Like it wears out. It technically just wears, even if it doesn't record anything, it just wears out by being Roll. Yeah, the little magnetic bits in the tape get stuck and, you know, yeah. you need new tape. And it's done all over the floor. Like I have to vacuum every day because <laughs> I keep it on overnight just to have it like warmed up when I have to well, use it. It's like an Andy Warhol like trash movie. You just, it's just an abundance of captured footage. Um, <laughs> so we, we really need your money for that very important and defensible reason. Um, so head to our Patreon and do that. And depending on the level you support us, you'll get your name mentioned on every Sunrise Robot show. And uh, with that, I want to give special thanks to Benji Robinson and Carolyn Kraut. Thank you so much Woo. for your support. We love you guys. And we'll see you next time. Bye.